0: Welcome to the CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman, a practicing physician and a CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I have Dr. Dirk Stanley with me. He really has written some wonderful things about change management that I've read about. Uh, he has a blog that we'll talk about as well. That's where I've, I've picked up some of his writing. He's the CMIO at Yukon Health. He's been there for, for a couple of years. And uh, Dirk, say hello to uh, our audience.
1: Hi, thank you for inviting me. It's an uh, honor to be here.
0: Just if you don't mind, lead us off a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself, about your journey into becoming a CMIO, and um, anything that would be interesting to lead us off.
1: Oh, sure. Actually, my journey, I think everyone has their journey, right? I love listening to your show and I've heard uh, other people's journeys. Mine is, I think, about as chaotic as everyone else. I kind of fell into the role. I didn't actually plan on any of this. I sort of ended up here. I I did residency in internal medicine at Albany Medical Center and spent a year then after residency at, uh, at Rhode Island Hospital. And after a year at Rhode Island Hospital, I went looking for another job. I applied to a community hospital in Northampton, Massachusetts, Cooley Dickinson Hospital, where initially I applied. So I'm a hospitalist, um, you know, by training and, and you know, with over 10 years of hospitalist experience, but I applied for a hospitalist job there. And it was there where I was um, I was handing in my application and they looked at my resume and they saw that I had, I worked for software companies. I had worked uh, briefly for IBM on their global networks. I had done all this data analysis and, and database construction, and so and then all of a sudden I became a doctor, but uh, there was a chief medical officer there at the time who looked at my resume and said, oh my god, we're about to go live with an electronic medical record. Keep in mind this was about 2007, and you know, meaningful use was just kicking off. So. He said, we're about to go live with an electronic medical record. We desperately need a CMIO here. Would you be interested in being our CMIO? So that evening I went home and (laughs) and actually Googled, like what is a CMIO and what is informatics? I'd suddenly learned this word informatics and it was literally like, it, it was like the angels were singing to me as I was reading that this is the combination of technology and medicine to help improve people's lives and, and health outcomes. And and so I'd realized at that moment that I had actually fallen right into the best job in the world. And um, and that's basically uh when I started off my CMIO career and my professional informatics career. And uh I was there for about eight years and now I am currently at UConn Health, uh not too far away. And uh, so, I've been here for about three years, and that's basically my journey. You fell into this role,
0: like most of my guests have, and I think that's a wonderful way for providers to get involved. We'll talk a little bit more about that, I think, later. But what's your favorite part of being a CMIO?
1: Oh, there's so many things that I love about being a CMIO. If you can incorporate a love for information and communication and technology with good clinical care and i really see myself as a doctor first and technology second even though i guess in my career i i I did this backwards but it's really about making people better making patients healthier making um having better outcomes uh making medical care more accessible and reachable i love providing solutions i love you know, even the most challenging situations where people are frustrated and they're uh, throw their computers out the window. I love taking those situations and turning them around and showing them what really good sound uh, configuration looks like, what great workflow feels like, and how they can actually use it as a really good tool uh, to, to deliver patient care. So I love providing those solutions and meeting with people. And it's awesome because even as an internal medicine doctor, like I have conversations about labor and delivery and OB-GYN and cancer and uh, pediatrics and emergency departments. So like, if there's anything that gives you such a great broad perspective of what we do as, you know, as doctors and nurses and pharmacists to take care of patients, it's being a CMIO is really like, is such a rewarding experience in that way. So being a people person definitely helps in the CMIO world. It's really not
0: the tech part that's hard. It's the people part, right?
1: Yeah, I would say the technology is probably 30% of the battle, 70% of the battle is listening and making sure that you hear what people are asking for and making solutions appear simple and easy and you want people to feel good about it and you want them to own the technology. And, and I think there's, there's a lot of common misconceptions about that clinical people don't own the technology or that they can't have a voice in how it's configured, so I depend on the frontline Uh, staff to to help guide me on how best to configure it for their needs. They're the ones using it every day, so I need to make sure it meets their needs. So that means a lot of communication, uh, a lot of meetings, but really open and honest discussions about how do we treat pneumonia the best way? How do we treat acute coronary syndrome or stroke or, or pain? Like these are all really relevant and important clinical discussions first. Yeah. And then Once I know what their needs are, then I follow with, you know, really good design and configuration. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about that, about
0: the change management here in just a second. I, I agree with you though, that such a important part is having an engaged partner on the other side. The worst thing I've ever had to deal with is totally disengaged providers and trying to do change management. That's just pulling teeth. So you, you do a blog. You have a blog called CMIO Perspective. I've been a fan of your blog for a long time. Tell us why did you create that blog
1: and what do you think is the the value to the community? So it's interesting. I created the blog sort of on a whim. I remember I was kind of early. I think, I I mean, I look back every once in a while at some of the early blog posts and I kind of cringe a little bit because I don't think I fully understood what I was trying to achieve at that point. But it kind of became clear to me within about a year of starting in the clinical informatics journey, it kind of became clear to me that there was a lot of um, sage advice that I'd heard from experienced people, but it wasn't really easily found. Like it wasn't, you couldn't Google for it and there weren't really great books. And there there was a lot of um, lessons that I was learning that I felt if I documented them and I shared them in a, in a positive educational way, Maybe I could help other people learn from lessons that I learned. I've had people write me because of my blog and they say, oh, thank God, I'm so glad that you talked about order sets or policies or workflow because I was trying to convince our physicians here of why that's so important and they didn't really believe me. But once I had your blog, I could show like I'm not the only one who says that this is important. And so in a way, it's kind of become, I would say, a a resource for all the kind of lonely uh, you know, <laughs> sort of frontline uh, front informatics people who are trying to, every day they're, they're working to build the workflows and update the workflows and make great user experiences for the clinical staff, but they don't always have a, a voice um, because it's kind of a new and emerging field, right? There's a lot of uh, people who are, are performing informatics functions but there, it does, it's not included in their job title. And then there's also people who have informatics job titles that aren't necessarily performing informatics functions. So you know, I think we're it's still kind of, it's still evolving. It's still developing. I think since meaningful use, the the use of the word informatics is, has changed. So, you know, it's developing, but I'm, I'm glad to at least provide my little slice. So these are some of the things that you want to You want to think about before you build an order set or before you build documentation so that's what my blog is for
0: yeah great i mean that really resonates because i created cmio podcast to achieve some of the same goals it's how do we capture and build a repository of information for other cmios now who who knows maybe someone else out there struggling today with change management And I'm gonna take your brilliant brain on this topic and just make it available to to a wider audience. So again, thank you for doing your blog and thank you for being on the show. So let me get into a little bit about um, one of my favorite articles I saw on your blog. I'm going way back to 2010 and it's called the CMIO checklist. I reread this one periodically. It's just a great discussion about change management. I think we've all, as CMIOs or Physician Informaticists, have seen change management go awry. Uh, I'm sure everyone has a similar example to what I'm about to present here where a GYN or some specialist, they sideline an analyst and they ask for a change to happen to the diabetic order set. And the analyst, well, they move forward because they want to please that physician. However, the GYN wasn't really the owner of that order set, and so now the others in the hospital, like like the hospitalists who also use that order set, well, now they're upset with the change. And, oh, by the way, the Diabetes Committee feels that they were left out, and they want to know why they weren't consulted prior to a change. And the analyst now gets all defensive and complains that she didn't even know who was the owner because there is no central repository for that information. And the end result is now there's an angry horde standing outside the CMIO's office with pitchforks. And so, Dirk, tell us about this checklist of yours and how it prevents angry hordes. And, yeah. oh, by the way, I'm going to present, I'll, I'll put a link to this checklist on the podcast website. But if you don't mind, run us through that checklist and, and then tell us how to prevent the angry horde.
1: Sure, yeah, actually, that's fine. I think every CMIO has had those um, angry hordes with um, you know torches and pitchforks outside their door, right? I would say the first two to three years that I was, um, you know, in my role, I didn't really fully understand change management. and i'm I'm not saying I'm not sure I would describe myself as an expert at it, but I think everybody has their learning curve. Um, i What I will tell you is that the first two or three years that I was doing this, I was exactly doing the same mistakes that you were talking about where somebody just kind of sidelines an analyst and says, Oh, Hey, can you just update this one order set? And I didn't really fully appreciate how the order set is connected to the, you know, behaviors, which is connected to the documentation, which is connected to the finances, which is like, we're all kind of, everything is interconnected. And, um, and I remember feeling kind of frustrated because I was like, why It's like, I I think I arrived at the conclusion that there was almost nothing you could change um, anywhere in the EMR that didn't impact something else in the hospital. And then, and vice versa, I remember seeing uh, people working on projects outside of the EMR that were, that had a, they were like quality projects or some sort of regulatory compliance issue or something that pretty much always had Uh, impacts on the configuration of the EMR? How do you know what, what changes inside the EMR impact things outside, and what kind of things outside impact inside? So I kind of one day just did a thought experiment, and it's sort of a simple experiment, but I just sort of thought about if I had to build a hospital, on a field right like if I suddenly were forced I don't know if I were in the military and suddenly had to build a hospital from scratch let's say within 24 hours we need to have a working hospital what would I need to run the hospital and so you know I kind of thought well what are the things that all hospitals have like all hospitals have um, orders right and they all have clinical documentation and so the orders, I guess, they combine into order sets, and the order sets, they combine into clinical pathways. And then there are these people outside of the EMR when they're talking about policies and procedures. I guess those serve a role too. And and we also need staff education and patient education. So, so it dawned on me that all of healthcare is basically built on 24 building blocks, and about 12 of them are inside, an electronic medical record, and twelve of them are outside an electronic medical record. So then, so I started to build a spreadsheet, and you can kind of see the the first my first attempt at it. I can actually do a much better one today, but back in two thousand and ten, I was actually trying to create like kind of one column, describing what are the building blocks of workflow, and um, and then and then once i had that you know i was kind of trying to figure that out i there was some debate over well what exactly is a protocol and what is a standing order and how do i know how do i know what's a protocol and what's a standing order so i started to actually write definitions of like okay well if we need a policy how am i going to describe what a policy is if i need a procedure what's a procedure if i need guidelines or protocols or order sets so i suddenly it kind of automatically was teaching me like how to write policy grade definitions for these common building blocks in healthcare and then so once I had that then I was trying to think like okay from a document management standpoint let's just say I have the best world's best workflow for treating pneumonia and then how am I gonna figure out which of those building blocks I need to actually treat pneumonia and you know if I make those building blocks who's responsible for each building block? And how am I gonna build it? And how am I gonna test it? And how am I gonna approve it? And where is it gonna be published? And and so all of a sudden I realized that all change management is mapping your current state, then deciding on your future state, and then figuring out which of those 24 tools you're gonna to need to get from point A to point B, and then uh, drafting them, building them, testing them, uh, approving them, educating them, then publishing them, and then monitoring them in an organized process. And I guess that's when I developed the CMIO's checklist. And I think it's it's very important for every CMIO to kind of go through this thought exercise because it really helps you understand change management. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. So uh,
0: you start off then with the definition and the main purpose of the tool. So that's, that's, your, that's your foundation. And then you want to make sure you understand who's owning it and then who's building it who's testing it who's approving it then you talk a little bit about in your blog about who's coding it and tell me just a little bit
1: about that step so coding and um you know in 2010 i i I probably could have used better terminology but in 2010 what i was looking at like a lot of the things that we uh we build um, have things like naming conventions or for policies. There are people who have to attach a policy code. So you kind of need to know who's responsible for organizing it in, um, how are we going to separate one order set from another? So that's sort of a catch-all term for everything from, uh, naming conventions to, uh, policy codes, which are often used to distinguish different types of policies or policy owners. But all of these people are necessary to be part of your project team. So so once you once you kind of know the pathway to creating each of these 24 tools, then it becomes really easy to then identify your workflow, figure out the tools, you know, build the tools in an organized way and test them and educate them and then publish them and support them. And and you can actually then develop really easy project plans because once the, the road like how does a you know basically how does a bill become a law, like what is the pathway for each of those tools then you can make them all cross the finish line at the same time because you know some some tools might take longer like policies especially if they're contentious might take like three or four months to get a policy approved whereas an order set might only take you two or three weeks once you, you know, have agreement from your stakeholders about what needs to be in the order set so so it helps you make sure that everything is crossing the finish line at the same time and then what it gives you is a really awesome experience like people then really are like oh my god you've thought about everything and like everything everything is falling into place on exactly the date that you know you told me it would and and it really makes you it gives you a really professional you know look and feel to the tools that you develop and also making sure that your project is delivered on time so that's the benefit there then right i mean you're putting the time in up front you're working
0: through the steps but you on the back end is a nice smooth process and hopefully satisfied customers with no pitchforks, as we say, uh, is that, is that, am I on track with that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, and once I learned to do this, I I will say (laughs) that the number, I'm not saying it doesn't still happen once in a while, but the frequency of, of, uh, people with pitchforks has gone down dramatically once you know how to do this in an organized, easy, streamlined, predictable way. Yeah. So I'll admit some of my faults here i've botched
0: this where i've jumped right into you know who's building it and let's go ahead and let's implement and maybe i'll skip the uh the publishing and education part then no one's using it so i've definitely seen where this has gone uh sideways how many of these steps are you owning i know personally that i tend i don't want to be certainly the owner of the tool that of of all the steps that's the one I want to make sure that I am not the owner but many of these other steps approval or testing where do you do you do
1: you get into the weeds on this or do you keep yourself a distance away how does that work so, so I think it's important for a CMIO to understand the recipe for really gourmet changes. And, you know, I'm more than happy that that would be a whole different podcast. I'm more than happy to come back if you want oh, to, we'll, we'll get you back. <laughs> yeah. I'm more than happy to share um, a recipe for really like good, smooth, easy changes. But it's helpful to understand that recipe, but it doesn't mean you have to own all the steps. Like once you introduce the idea of like really smooth, organized, predictable, uh, planned changes, and you introduce it to your IT team, and also to your clinical leadership. Like it's 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 just as important that all of the uh, physician and nursing and pharmacy and you know and finance and other leadership they need to understand what good change looks like and why that recipe is important but once you introduce that, so I I would say like every CMIO should when you get hired you want to look at what is the change management policy and if it's not well developed or if there isn't one it's important to sort of you know start off with like let's talk about how to make organized uh, predictable changes and then who is going to own which part and so I guess in a way like I, I guess if I had to answer your question I think a CMIO um, is probably expert at this because when it doesn't go right, the, ex- the CMIO is the one who gets the, the people with the pitchforks outside the door. So it's important for a CMIO to know that recipe, but it doesn't mean the CMIO has to own the whole recipe. So I guess the way I would describe it is I sort of oversee that recipe. You know, it's, it's sort of like being a, uh, a chef in a kitchen, right? Like if you're the, if you're the head chef, there's other people that are helping to following recipes to create the components that eventually go into the final meal but it doesn't mean that you have to cook every component does that make sense
0: it does there is one step your last step on the checklist here is who's monitoring the tool and i do like to keep my hands in the mix on that because i think i have that Skill set that that combination of being the clinical and informatics leader, you're going to know if the tool is delivering both the clinical as well as the technical part of what you wanted it to do. So, do you also find that that in the terms of the monitoring piece, that that's where your expertise really does come to shine?
1: Oh yeah, and for the same reason, just like you said, like it's um, you know that's where I think having both that combined clinical and IT knowledge, it just it it really. Um, You know, you, you have a really good sense of what's the best monitoring strategy and then to actually help oversee the functionality. And monitoring is one of the areas where I think many, many people and, you know, like people very well meaning and they're kind of in a rush to get things done. But if you don't include, if you don't plan for how you're going to monitor the workflow, then it's very easy to go live with something, and then six months later, people aren't using it, and then you're wondering what's going on. So, I think it's very important to include monitoring in all of those tools. And it's not just the order sets, it's the policies and documentation and other tools. So, um, that's really, I think you hit the nail on the head. That's a very important part of any implementations. Just take a guess for me, shoot from the hip. Across the
0: country, what percent? of the informatics work that's currently in production do you think is reviewed the stuff that hits the clinicians what do you th- how much of that do you think gets reviewed on some sort of basis
1: oh that's i mean <laughs> that's a really <laughs> yeah that's that's a really good question i i think many places try to do i would say every 2 or 3 years you know a re-review of their content but it's it's very hard like once you build an order set library Basically, I, I often, I often struggle with this myself. Like what if the new England journal of medicine comes out with, that this drug was taken off the market within a day or two, it needs to come out of your order sets, or if a new drug is approved, it needs to go onto your order sets. So maintaining the libraries is very, very difficult. I think, you know, especially for pharmacy and formulary management, it's really, um, you need to, to really have a strategy for updating your content and, um, and at least every two years, making sure that you've gone through everything. And, and all that requires analytics to know which order sets are being used and which ones aren't and who the stakeholders are and have you checked in with them. And it, re- it requires a lot of work to, to configure and go live, but then it takes equally, if not more work, to maintain all the content.
0: Yeah, I'll throw out a number. I'm going to say maybe 10% of the clinical content that's out there in these EMRs across the country is regularly reviewed. And I have absolutely no scientific data to back that up whatsoever. It's just from casual conversation with other CMIOs that we all struggle with keeping the catalog, understanding who's built what, who owns it. Do you, do you have any kind of tool or anything that you're using I mean is this just is this literally a checklist that you use that's a piece of paper and boxes or something on the uh, on the whiteboard or is this Excel what do you, what are you using if anything to make this li- a living document that probably that truly lives
1: forever so um, so in terms of the CMIO checklist this is just a simple spreadsheet that I created and I think it it like just the creation of it helps a CMIO understand change management. once you once you've gone through this exercise and um, you know there then you can actually create policies related to the development of all these tools. You can create templates for these tools. And I will tell you that once I had this checklist in my hands, like just for me, this is just you know a CMIO's checklist, I was better able to understand, um, both the tools inside the electronic medical record and the tools outside and I've actually been quite successful at developing a number of templates that help make sure uh, for example when you're developing guidelines that the guidelines are not being confused with your policies and procedures which you know guidelines are kind of uh, recommended best practices whereas policies and procedures are you know those are the rules like if uh, if somebody mm-hmm. doesn't follow a policy it's it's you know different impact than not following a guideline so so knowing when to use them is really important and so knowing how to write them is really important and knowing how to develop them so I I guess you know, I sort of think of the CMIO's toolbox as you know, half of our tools are inside the electronic medical record and half of our tools are outside and you know, again it doesn't mean we have to own every single tool but we need to sort of almost like conduct a symphony and help work with the people who develop those tools to make sure they're all crossing the finish line at the same time on any given project.
0: I think it may help our listeners to understand a little bit about your governance process. How does something like an order set on an alert go from an idea to an actual tool that's in production, just so we can put all this in context, the, the whole checklist concept?
1: So it's interesting because government, right? So in the paper world, uh, I mean, a lot of what we deal with as CMIOs is the transition from what did healthcare, how did it work on paper and how does it work electronically? So on the checklist, you'll see number six, it's you know just asking who approves each of those tools. And pretty much in every uh, organization, there's either, <laughs> I would describe it as either a formal approval process or an informal approval process. But effectively there's some uh, approval process. The The challenge is, especially when you're trying to line up everything to cross the finish line at the same time, um, making sure that you're planning for that approval step and what do you do if somebody approves something in let's say column B, C, D, or E where it's something outside the electronic medical record and you know, how do you coordinate that with things inside the electronic medical record? So I think one of the things that changes in an organization when you go from a paper-based hospital to an electronic one in terms of governance is it's not a um, reactive governance that you need in other words it's not somebody showing up you know, drafting a policy and saying I need it approved by this date or drafting an order set and saying I need it approved by this date it, you need to switch to a more proactive governance where it's really about your intake process and your workflows and your prioritization and kind of, you know, um, seeing before you actually approve a project, like an estimate of, you know, what are the tools you're going to need to build, um, who are the stakeholders you're going to need to involve, how much time and effort is it going to take to achieve the project, and then kind of approving the project rather than approving each individual tool and um, and that's I think that's probably the hardest lesson to learn that it's really approval is not a one-step process it's actually a two-step process there's approval of initiating the project requires one the one set of analysis and approval and then if you invest the time in doing the project planning and the return on investment and the timelines and approving it at the beginning then the approval at the end, once once you've created these documents, it should just be a formality or a very quick discussion. It shouldn't be a very a very big debate at that point. And I think that's so. That's I guess the way I would describe it. Going from paper to electronic means you have to go from a reactive governance to a proactive governance, and that's you know that's that's a culture change. So, um, and that applies to.
0: All size hospitals, whether you've got one facility or you've got thirty, that concept is portable no matter where you are.
1: Oh um, yeah, and and that's you're absolutely right. Like I, I think we've all seen that, right? Where even the smallest hospital, the twenty five bed hospital, still has these same struggles. Absolutely.
0: So let me wrap this up and and get you out of here. What advice do you have for someone who's looking to become a CMIO?
1: So, let's see, to become a CMIO, um well, I would advise um don't follow the path that I did. Um because I'm not <laughs> sure I'm not sure I could have even guessed that that would have happened. Um I think uh you know you you want to get involved, right? If you're if you're a doctor, I think the first thing is you really have to care. You have to decide that I'm willing to deal with um challenges and unhappy people and problems and you know, I'm I'm willing to to um, take my time and my career to help solve problems that other people kind of run away from because they seem scary or daunting or too big. And if you if you kind of if you think that fits your needs for your life and your career and your family, then I would say you know take active steps, get involved, like talk to the director of quality, go to those meetings where people are talking about quality initiatives or safety issues or evidence-based best practice and, and start reading your, your policies and looking at, you know, asking questions about how do we build order sets here? How do we build clinical documentation? Whose job is it to decide which alerts are being displayed in our system and start, once you start identifying yourself and showing that you're genuinely cared and, you know, maybe. Maybe get involved in a couple of small projects first, and then. But once you once you identify yourself as somebody who really wants to do this, I think everybody is looking for help, and I think um, and I think there's plenty of opportunities. In fact, I think the need for informatics is much greater than most people recognize. So um, so I think once you identify yourself and distinguish yourself as somebody who you know genuinely cares and is willing to help. Heard the cats, so to speak, and, and build processes and make better things better. So it's just sort of the natural progression from there. So I, I also recommend uh, getting involved in AMIA or HIMSS or um, you know any professional informatics society um, and talking to other informaticists and asking them how did they get involved. And once you kind of get bitten by the bug, then you know the rest. The re- it's it's kind of a, a pretty straightforward uh, trajectory from there.
0: Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Well, Dirk, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, you've done a great job, So,
1: um, and, and uh, I'll look forward to trying to get you back on the show again soon. Sure. Thank you very much. It's, it's an honor being here. Um, it's a great show. I listen to it every day on my way to work, so you know, keep up the good work. Thank you. And that's our show for today. You've been listening
0: to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman, and you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, or you can email me at cmiopodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can also go to the website, cmiopodcast.com, Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, just to connect. Uh, I look forward to bringing you our next episode.